Good morning, everyone. I pray that you all can hear me. Um, my name is Patricia Francois out of Powder Springs, Georgia, and I had the honor and privilege of meeting um, Apostle a couple of weeks ago for the first time face-to-face, and, um, and I am more than privileged this morning uh, to be with you, women of God. Um, I have a limp, lengthy topic uh, this morning, and I will just have to lean on the Holy Spirit to help me get through this. Um, I was in awe with the praise and the worship this morning because it ties in with what God wants me to speak, especially as I was listening to the woman of God say, no matter what's going on. And then there was this yes, there was this yes, there was this this cry. Um, I have a difficult but crucial message this morning. And it's my prayer and my belief that the Holy Spirit will help us actively listen with spiritual ears and receive the heart of the Father. I believe and receive that the Lord desires to rid us of some unhealthy baggage, past experiences, long-held ideas regarded as burdens and impediments. The emotional baggage, it has been there too long. He said it's time to come up and gain traction in power, footing, and gripping. The Holy Spirit's goal this morning is to give us a different perspective on some obstacles, to change our disposition, that inherent quality of our mind, character, and habits. He wants to change our disposition so we can be in a proper state of preparation and readiness, so we can move in the ways and in the mind of Christ. It is his goal as well as mine, to help us align ourselves in cohesion. That's in unity, consistency, and structure with the Lord, which will result in traction as well. Mm. Okay, I I just stopped. I thought I had a different message. But... um, Again, he, he wants us to, uh, to change, he wants to change our disposition so we can be in a proper state of preparation and readiness so he can move, so we can move in the ways of the mind of Christ. It's his goal to help us align ourselves in cohesion, unity, consistency, the structure of the Lord, which will result in traction as we let go of the baggage. That, that word inherent uh, it's a Latin word, and it means sticking to. And then the, the verb form of it, it, it means in and then to stick. There's some inherent things that God wants to remain, that we do want to stick to us. But this morning, he's challenging us to look at what's sticking in the wrong way, and that is in the way of the, the baggage. My, my topic this morning is when will you learn to suffer? Let me just quickly say, that came to me several years ago. Uh, I have a brother. He's deceased now. He was uh, diagnosed with um, paranoid schizophrenia um, pretty much the entire part of his life, and into, up until his 20s, into his 60s, up until his death. He went through a horrific um, challenge in his life. Uh, we, he, he would leave the state. One time he ended up in Florida 
We got a call that he was walking the streets, he was naked, he was wiping himself with his own feces, and we just went through an awful time, um, or the whole family suffered in that with him. And I remember being at the sink, and I was troubled by all the things that was going on with him because by that time he had come um, back. They shipped him back to Atlanta. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, did you allow him to come back because you're, you're ready to take him? And I knew that, um, the, you know, I felt like the Lord did not want my mother to worry about whether or not he was dead or alive. So I'm standing over this sink and I'm looking at this thing, and that's when I heard the Lord say to me, when will you learn to suffer? Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to try and move through this as fast as I can because I have so much to give you, and anything that is um, not clear, if I'm talking too fast, if it's just not understood, please make a note of it. Uh, get with uh, Apostle, and, and then we can try to clarify some, some things. Um, I want to I look at the definition of suffering. Suffering is, is not an easy defined word, yet if I were rude to you, it would possibly bring an offense, some level of pain or suffering. An understanding of pain and sufferings, suffering life experiences, it's anticipated, it's expected. They are considered aspects of a person's life, and we are ever changed and changing because of it as well as through other life experiences. Nonetheless, here are a few definitions. Um, it is the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. It is the opposite of pleasure and happiness. Pain can be described simply as mental or emotional distress or suffering. It can be described in neurological terms, but it expresses itself in cognitive awareness. Neurological as it involves the brain, the nervous system, and stem cells. Cognitive because it is the mental, intellectual capacity, the processes of the brain's chamber for thinking, memory, attention, learning, decision-making, judgment, language, reasoning, and perception. When pain and suffering arise, the neurological and the cognitive factors along with our cultural and educational background, will often determine our interpretation and response to suffering. Our behavioral disposition or personality will, all, will also vary based on our will, self-will, the strength of our character, our thought process, desires and self-control. It's all on display during an awful time in our lives. Our predicament, it is not only difficult and unpleasant, but quite an embarrassing situation at times. Suffering is an unpleasant or even anguishing experience, severely affecting a person's psychophysical level, that mental and physical level. It has the potential to escalate into unnecessary drama, usually involving conflicts and emotions, and if we aren't willing or capable of managing the stresses of suffering, it can attack and even destroy us. But listen to this. Strangely enough, suffering can constructively expand a person. 
and you'll hear more, you'll understand that as we go forth. The Lord gave me the word calamity, and it's like, well, how do I compare or parallel this word calamity to suffering? Uh, It's a very strong term used only in the Old Testament. Some versions have translated um, in the New Testament where they chose to use that word, but it's not necessarily uh, a key word that's used in the New Testament. And so from the Hebrew, because, because, again, we're talking about the Old Testament, from Hebrew to the English translation, it means an evil event, disaster, tragedy, catastrophe, accident, tribulation, trouble, visitation, and suffering. You can see these are very strong words. Again, an evil event, disaster, tragedy, catastrophe, accident, tribulation, Let's take a look. I want us to look at, there's so many scriptures, I don't expect anyone to write these down, but if you want them later on, again, just see uh, Apostle and I can get them to you. Um, I want to look at Job's calamities. In the course of one day, Job experienced disease, poverty, and bereavement. In chapter 1 and 2, I'm just kind of paraphrasing uh, some of this. His oxen and and donkeys were taken by raiders. The servants were killed. The fire God fell and burned up the sheep and servants. Camels were taken by raiders. More servants were killed. A great wind caused the house of of one of the sons to fall in on all the sons and daughters. He had 10 children. God, then Job fell on the ground and worshiped God. He had four different messengers. There were all his servants. All the servants were killed except for the ones that were bringing the report. But in all of that, Job fell to the ground and worshiped God at that moment. Job suffered with painful boils from the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And in another place, as he fell on the ground, He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. That is a hard place to be in, and to yet praise the Lord in such suffering and calamity all in one day. He said in chapter 13, he said, though he slays me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. But then when we get to chapter 6 of Job, Job says, oh, that my grief were fully weighed and my calamity laid with it on the scales, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rashed, rash. In Job's mourning, he was so distraught and distressed that he compared the weight of his grief to the sand of the sea. Then he began complaining. He spoke rashly, impulsively, without thinking. Has that happened to you? In chapter 3, he says, why is light given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of soul? His soul was bitter. He was grieving so much. It's like, why is there light? In other words, why is there life in me? I'm grieving. My soul is so grieved. I'm vexed. 
Why do I live? He was, he had, I won't say he, he was necessarily suicidal, but at that moment, Job wished that he were, he were dead. He wished that he was never born. In chapter 7, he says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. Again, this is the rashness. He says, therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. In chapter 20, in chapter 30, he says, they mar my path. They set forth my calamity. They have no helper. He felt like his path, his whole journey, his whole path had been destroyed and that these few little people, they didn't have any additional help, this calamity that came before him. But in the end, the Lord redeemed the time and restored all that Job lost. He gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord blessed him with a long life, with seven more sons, and three more daughters. Satan was proved wrong, and God's righteousness prevailed. Have you learned to bless God in your calamity, in your suffering, or are you willing to learn in humility? There's this commentary um, by this man, his name is John Rittenbaum, concerning Job. And he says, notice, and I want you to take note to what I'm saying. He said, notice that God himself takes the initiative in setting this up, choosing the antagonist, which is Satan, and defining the parameters on what could be done. God set the parameters on how far he could go. And we know he allowed him to do do everything except for take his life. But this written bomb, he says, Can we say in the face of accounts like this that God only permits difficult trials to occur? Can we say he is not actively testing his children to see what is in them? Can we say he is not actively directing Satan to carry out the calamities he designs? In the Old Testament, as it relates to calamity, In 2 Samuel, it talks about persecution. In Deuteronomy, it talks about divine retribution and judgment. In Jeremiah, it talks about the devastation of war. In Proverbs, it speaks about the adversities of of, of many kinds of suffering. Your own friend and your fathers and friends, don't forsake them, he says. Neither go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. This is concerning Proverbs. He said it's better, it's better is the neighbor who is near, meaning near in spirit, than a brother who is far off, meaning in the heart. It's better when you're going through your calamity, it's better to go to somebody who you know is in the spirit, who's close to the heart of God. And in, uh, in chapter 19 of Proverbs, it talks about folly, the foolish son, the son that brings suffering to their parents. I've had a lot of suffering through with, with my son, and even having to deal with his depression for many years, having witnessed walking in on his father to find that he was dead, 
I've been pushed away and shunned by my, my son that even to the point that even when I went to the funeral, my son said, if dad were here, he wouldn't want you here. Anger, frustration, sadness, all these things can call out and, and, and make you speak in rash, rash, rash ways. Um, the Lord wants us to know that he understands that we sometimes feel like a vacuum. He gave me that word vacuum. It's like, what are you talking about, Father? A vacuum it's a space entirely devoid of matter, times when we feel empty, emptiness, void, like air has been completely or partly removed from us. He understands the gap left when there's loss, death, or departure of something or someone that was previously a part of our lives. So he reminds us that not only can he fill us, only he can complete us. Only God can fill us. Only God can complete us. God wants us to have the fullness of him. Just as we freely accept God's love, we have to accept his wisdom to not only punish evil, but to inflict pain and suffering, to destroy and to build up according to his will. We learn that some truths come at a very expensive price, that there are, time, there are some times or some things um, that we would never learn except we suffered to prove it, that loyalty is tested through opposition and calamities. Suffering reveals the heart, of, the heart of our character, who and what we are willing to bow down to and serve. There's this um, Oriental, uh, this Chinese man, Watchman Me. He has a book called The Spiritual Man, and this is concerning the book, but he says, I myself, I can testify that the truths in this book were learned through the many sufferings, trials, and failures. You have a book. You are a walking epistle. We are to walk and, and allow the Holy Spirit to walk through us, to use us, so we can display the image of Christ. Job was capable of capturing that sentiment oh so well. But later, Job, Job said, but where shall wisdom be found and where is this place of understanding? This is Job 28. He says, man knows not the price of wisdom, neither is it found in the land of the living. And unto man, he said, behold the fear of the Lord. This is wisdom, and depart from evil understanding. Job went from chapter 1 to chapter 28 to tell us that wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is the key. Fear the Lord. Hosea says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me, because you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. Now, we're not under the law, but we know Christ fulfilled the law, but we are still to learn what it means to walk in the statues, because he said he wrote them on our hearts. The Holy Spirit is in us, in that secret place, in that honorable place, in that higher place, and if we are willing, we can, we can get the knowledge that is, that is needed. If, 
if we fear the Lord, if we feel the fear the Lord and go into that secret place, and though we know in part and we prophesy in part, God does not want us to stay in a false narrative, a faulty belief system, a belief that is based on incorrect, incomplete information, incorrect knowledge. We have to come up in the knowledge of him. I want to shift gears and we're going to talk about something else. I heard him say, misplaced loyalty. Okay, Luke 6 and 45, a good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. When a person is ladled or overwhelmed with fear, agitated, provoked, or triggered by a word or a set of events, they can unfortunately misdirect or misplace their anger towards someone who is not the cause or source of their discomfort. They, can generally, they generally become aggressive with outbursts of negative emotions displaying their lack of self-control. Ladies, Not only do we misdirect our anger, God is saying we misdirect our loyalties. The Lord is not only concerned about our misplaced anger. He said there are some loyalties misplaced. And because of this suffering, oh, well, it's not so, okay, let me me say that again. There are some loyalties misplaced, and because of this, our suffering is prolonged, we end up making God an option instead of a priority. This requires practice and discipline to behave in a strictly controlled way, to obey the order of things, and to absorb the true riches of God. And though we fail and struggle to give him our devotion, allegiance, and faithfulness, he declares, I am your first love. Your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts. I recall a time past, and it echoes to this day, I am going to make you love me, he said. And in these last few years, he said, I want you to be a pioneer of love. It required a lot of breaking, a lot of breaking, and he's still breaking me to live up to what he has spoken over me. Misplaced loyalty or mistaken loyalty, misguided loyalty or misplaced trust is loyalty placed in other persons or organizations where the loyalty, hear this, it is not acknowledged, it's not respected, it's betrayed, or is taken advantage of. It can, it can also mean loyalty to an evil or misguided cause. Misplaced loyalty, though it may begin casually or innocently, it can end up becoming a serious problem with psychological consequences. It's risky business that can cause further harm and trauma to what may already exist in us. Notice also that it is believed that misplaced loyalty is linked to codependency. This is an imbalanced relationship where one person enables another person's 
self-destructive behaviors such as addiction, poor mental health, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Are you an enabler or is someone enabling you? Ask yourself, who or what am I empowering, supporting, permitting to bring in excessive emotional or psychological distress? Baggage. Am I sacrificing myself because I'm afraid of rejection and abandonment, and therefore I I will settle for an unhealthy relationship instead of making God the priority? I heard myself say this in prayer. We know, we don't know how to let you be you without your integrity. Let me say it again. This was in my prayer. We don't know how to let you be you without your integrity. You are God. Father, you are God. You are the Holy One. You are the way, the truth, and the life. He gave me the word fortitude. And he, essentially he's saying he's the only one that's truly fortified in uprightness, in moral character. He's the only one that's uncompromising. He's the only one that is whole and undivided. We are still divided, not just among a people. We are still divided within ourselves body, soul, spirit, but he wants us to be whole in every aspect. Now, let's shift again. Let's talk about Paul's journey. When will you learn to suffer and be content as Paul? Or we knew him as Saul, who became Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, the things which you learn, this is Paul talking to the people there. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and go and and God of peace and the God of peace will be with you. He had gotten so deep into the things of God. His relationship was so pure. He had gone through so much that he knew that he was walking upright. So he, he was bold enough to say, follow me because I know that I'm following Christ. I know I'm walking in the things of the Lord. And if you do these things, you will have peace. In order for us to learn, to receive, to hear, and to see spiritual things, our spiritual gates must be open. And when we follow as Paul instructs, the peace of God will be with us. His peace will rise up within, within us, and hear him, he said this, not only will it rise up within us, but he said it'll rise up over any barrier, over any difficulty you face. In 2 Corinthians 11 through 30, it says five times, now this is, this is Paul talking about his journey, his suffering, the things that he went through. He said five times from the, from the Jewish leaders, I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent in the open sea. In my journeys, I have been in dangers from rivers, robbers, countrymen, the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the desert, in the sea, danger among false brothers. He said, I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and nakedness. Besides these other things, 
There is daily pressure on me of, con- of the concern that I have for the church. He says, who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is led in- into sin? And I do not burn with in- indignation. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of my weaknesses. Paul said, I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering, and he did. In chapter 12, that Paul talks, again, this is another experience of Paul. He said, I was caught up in the third heaven, caught up to, uh, in paradise and heard sacred words which humans were not permitted to speak, yet he did not boast except regarding his weakness. Paul said, even if I do It would not be foolish because I speak the truth, but I refrain so that no one may think more of me than what he sees in me or hears from me. He knew he could boast, but he said, why? Just watch my life. Just watch my life. Just watch what I do. And to keep me from, but he said, but to keep me from exalting myself, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The King James Version, I think it uses the word buffeted, which means to beat. But again, it says the thorn was given to him in his flesh. And we don't know exactly what that thorn was, but some, you know, suggest that he was crippled in some way or had some other pain, but he was given that thorn to keep him from boasting, to keep him from, you know, from that area of pride. In chapter 12, verse 8, he, he says, I pled with the Lord three times about this, that it might leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast. I will take pleasure in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. For Christ's sake, he said, for Christ's sake, then I delight in weaknesses, infirmities. I delight in my infirmities, in insults, distresses, persecution. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In verse 14, he says, look. I am ready to come to you this third time. Again, at this point, he, again, he's, he's talking to the Corinthians. He said, I'm ready to come to you this third time, and I will not burden you, for I seek not your possessions, but you. Paul loved them. He, didn't, he wasn't trying to put himself on a pedestal where everybody had to serve him, bow down to him, um, wasn't some sort of clique. He didn't, you know... Uh, required that they carry him on their shoulders. He didn't require any of that. He just wanted to know if they were following the Lord. But I looked at that scripture, the part where he says, for I seek not your possessions, but you. Hear that. That's something that God is saying to us. I'm not seeking your possessions. I'm not trying to take your possessions. I just want you. Philippians 14, not 14, Philippians 4, 12 through 13. It says, not that I speak in regard to need, but I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know to be abased, meaning humbly, 
He knows how to be humble. And I know how to abound, how to live in prosperity. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is the secret that Paul learned throughout his suffering and his calamity, that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. And the Lord wants to strengthen us through our sufferings, through our calamities. Paul is declaring that he is content and sufficient through Christ. That's why he says, I don't need anything from you. I don't need your possessions. For what I seek, not your possessions, but you. He was sufficient in the Lord. Let's look at um, some, I want to shift. There's some, some things that I had written in my phone and I want to go through some of these as quickly as I can. As you can tell, I'm a very uh, wordy person. <laughs> okay. This, it's not going to necessarily flow because these were just notes that I was taking, but when I was putting everything together last night, it's like, Lord, I have so much that you've given me, so much that you've shown me, and only you can pull these things together. But sometimes when we're suffering pains or evils, we say, why me? Where is God? Does God even exist? Does God have the power to help me? Why does it seem that God is indifferent to my suffering? He lacks interest, concern, or sympathy for me. It seems unimportant to God that I'm suffering. Why doesn't he help me? How can I stand? How do I learn? How do I learn to suffer voluntarily as Jesus did? How do I learn to say, not my will, but let your will be done? How do I suffer? How do I surrender in my suffering? Suffering is a means to an end. It's a strategy to make us surrender all to God, to keep our focus and dependency on no one but God. And God does comfort us in our sufferings. God is a jealous God. He will not tolerate our dependency on anyone but him. If God didn't divinely orchestrate someone to provide or assist you, eventually you will be cut off from one another because he wants the glory. No man can take God's glory. No man can be our rock, our provider, our salvation, but the living God of promise. He is that, the one who sealed us to the day of redemption. Jesus is not interested in analyzing and breaking down for us why suffering exists. Jesus is much more interested in, in having us deal with it to deal with it in a way that is healthy and that is constructive by facing it and knowing how to work through it and overcome it and transcend it versus trying to figure it out. Remember, again, we know in part, we prophesy in part. We have 
Let's see. What am I saying here? Okay. Let me move to this. We all have evil tendencies. We all have rebelled against God. If it were not for the Lord's mercy, we would all be consumed. It is good. Is it good? Can God really love me if he allows me so much suffering? Both David and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Suffering is unique for every living being. You can't generalize it. Suffering, in our suffering, I should say, we have to humble. We must be humble enough to turn and surrender to God as Jesus did when he said, not my will, but your will be done. We have to learn to accept and handle suffering with humility. I was watching this video um, on TV, and this woman was being interviewed. Her name is Helen Rosenbeer. She has a book called Living Sacrifice. She, she's a, uh, a missionary doctor who served in, in the Belgian Congo in 1964. She had been beaten, kidnapped, and raped twice. And as she was giving her testimony or recapping those things that happened to her, now when um, when I saw her on TV, she was at the age of 85, but she was a missionary as a very young, young woman. And she said, the Lord said to her, can you thank me? for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why. Hear what she said again. Can you thank me for trusting you with this experience, even if I never tell you why? She said it was as though he said, all I want of you is the loan of your body. She said there were times when she asked why God is it worth it? She said she grew up thinking everything in life had to be worth it. Immediately, she said, he spoke into the situation and said, don't ask why. Change the question, she, she said. He said, change the question. It's not, is it worth it? It's, am I worth it? Hear that again. She said, the Lord said, change the question. It's not, is it worth it? Is, am I worth it? She said she was thinking of the price that she had to pay instead of the privilege he wanted to give her. Regarding the rape, she said, it's external. You're sinned against. It's not your sin. It can't touch your spirit. It's only your body. It can't get into your mind or your soul. She said it can't get into your mind or your soul, but she must have progressed very quickly because I had an incident where as a very young girl, and I, I can't even honestly tell you I know the age that I was, 
when it happened, I believe I was somewhere between maybe five and eight years old, and uh, I was molested by my grandmother's boyfriend. But the thing about that is that I was so traumatized by that experience that I was, um, at that time I was working for IBM. I worked for IBM for 25 years. Uh, I had lived in Cleveland for nine years, came back to Georgia. And one day I was standing up in my cubicle and all of a sudden the computer screen, it was like I was watching TV and I saw this man over me. I didn't see my body, but I knew it was me. I, I saw this person hovering over me and I saw the bed and immediately I knew who it was. But I had suppressed that. I was 40, hear that. I was 40 years old when the Lord brought it back to me. I remember crying uncontrollably. I couldn't stop. I went to my manager. I told them what was going on. I, I went home for a week. I was angry. I said to the Lord, where were you? That's what I kept saying to him. Where were you? And then he said to me, your mother did the best she, she could. At that time, my father was deceased. My grandmother was deceased. And the man who molested me was also dead. I went to my mother, and um, again, I'm like 40 years old. I'm 40-something, 40 years old. And um, I confronted my mother out of, well, I can't say I confronted my mother. It was more of me trying to understand uh, what had happened. It was, it was me processing it. And I went to my mother, and my older sister was there. And in the bedroom, um, I'm telling my mom what happened, and she was dumbfounded. And I said it just like this. I said, after I told her what happened, I said, what in the hell happened to us when we were growing up? Because to this day, I, can, I can't remember much of my childhood. It was so unpleasant. I said, what in the hell happened to us when we were growing up? And when I told her who had uh, molested me, my older sister sat there and she said, yeah, it happened to me too. I went home. I had to do more processing. The Lord told me, go, go back and wash your mother's feet. Again, she, she did the best she could. Go wash her feet. I went to my mother's feet, and I literally put her feet in water, and I began to wash her feet. And I told her, the Lord told me that you did the best that you could. And she cried, and she cried, and she cried. So not only was it a purging for me, it was also a purging for my mother because my mother grew up being beaten by my father. I saw my father beat my older brother where a belt buckle went into his arm. He used to beat on my older sister. I grew up in a, in a, a household where there was a lot of violence and cursing, and just I just grew up an unhealthy, unstable child. I grew up, and I was diagnosed with long-term depression. I didn't have to have a counselor tell me that. I knew that. I want to shift again. Uh, there's this woman, Elizabeth Elliot. I love what she said. She said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Again, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. Then she goes on and she quotes this guy by the name of Malcolm uh, Muggeridge. She said, supposing 
you eliminated suffering. What a dreadful place the world would be because everything that corrects the tendencies of men to feel over-important, over-pleased with himself, would disappear. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. It would just be an awful place because we would have so many prideful, boastful people, uncaring people, people who are just stuck on themselves. Okay, now I want to go back to my, my paper. We're, we're getting close. We're getting close. Um, okay, based on some of the things I've shared with you uh, this morning, I want to look at some of the benefits and the strategies of suffering. We have been, we've seen that suffering can make you go through a range of emotions causing complaint, bitterness, confusion, recklessness, despondency, feeling suicidal, feeling rejection, dejected, and hopelessness, that throughout life's journey, the source of the injury can be self-inflicted or by others, even by the will of God. Also, that there are multiple ways to which suffering or calamity can strike us. However, the Lord has his purpose for our suffering, even when we don't understand its reasoning or think it's fair. To him, it is a means to an end. It's an activity or a process done in order to accomplish his goal. And this is not in any kind of um, priority, but I have about... 16 things that I've listed here, and some of them may overlap, but suffering, it teaches us to fear the Lord, to seek the kingdom and all his righteousness. It teaches us to be content and sufficient through Christ. It teaches us how to carry our cross, how to occupy, how to do business, Luke. Chapter 19, it says, Occupy till I come. It means, it is a means of testing our loyalties and our resolve, our determination, our steadfastness in Him. It reminds us to keep God a priority. It develops or conditions the heart towards purity. It is a teacher of grace, humility, and compassion. It breaks pride, vanity, and false humility. It develops the quality of our praise and worship to God. And I heard that this morning. It grounds us in the Lord. It causes us to seek spiritual counseling uh, during that time for comfort, to seek the Holy Spirit for wisdom and knowledge. It is a teacher of righteousness. Psalms 119 and 71 says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Suffering will make you turn back to the word and do what he said. In Romans 5, 
and 3, it says, But we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. It prepares us for greater ministry and support to others. Again, we were talking about letting go of baggage and gaining traction. And in order to um, let go of the baggage and to gain that traction, here's another list of things that is suggested and that we have to really look at. We have to humble ourselves before God. Things could be worse. We have to come to a complete excuse me, a complete resolve that the Lord God is just and sovereign. He's God. We have to accept and come under the fire and mercies of God. We have to make peace with God, with the God of peace, the God of love. We have to rely on and accept the Holy Spirit's wisdom, knowledge, counsel, and revelation. And as Paul said, You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If we think on that, that that will help us to gain that traction. We have to be forgiving, forgiveness to ourselves and to others. We have to accept our own suffering and admit that we don't know the full story, even of our own suffering. The Lord does not want us to shame, minimize, or belittle anyone's suffering. He said this to me a long time ago when a friend of mine lost their son. He said, a man's grief is unto himself. In other words, it's personal and it's a unique experience. So don't shame, don't minimize, or belittle your suffering. It can... Let's see. These are, this is more of a question. Can you be disappointed and still follow? That is a key to momentum, is to follow even when you're disappointed. Can you comprehend what is at stake? You have to be in that place where you're willing to open yourself up and understand what's the risk, what's at stake here. Is it my livelihood? Is it my salvation? Is it my children? What, what is at stake here uh, regarding my relationship with the Lord and suffering? Do you complain or blame? Instead, we have to worship and cut that off. We have to complain to get it out of us, but there's a, a healthy way. And, of course, the blame, that comes out just because we're suffering. We use other people as as buffers, so we want to move away from the, you know, from expressing ourselves where it does more harm, not only to ourselves, but we, we can break ties with people because we have not been able to manage our suffering or our pain. Declare what the Lord has already established and proclaim, uh, declare what the Lord has already established and proclaim. Speak God's reality, not the domain of your flesh or the soulish realm. In other words, pray the scriptures, pray his word, 
some things we look at the Bible, and it was just for those unique individuals. It may not have been for us, but yet we can liken certain things and say we, we do it a lot. Lord, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. We know his word is true. So we want to proclaim what he and declare what he has already proclaimed, what he has already established, whatever he has said to you personally. That's what you want to speak to give you more momentum. Stop requesting pity and confront fear. Fear paralyzes. It breeds hopelessness. If you don't stand up to fear, you're training yourself to stay there. If you keep pitying yourself, wallowing in self-pity, you only increase the potential for you to become more self-centered and unfruitful. Build your relationship with the Lord so there is faith over fear, doubt, faith over fear, doubt, worry, and anxiety. And he gave me this a strange word. He gave me the word quail, and I'm thinking of a bird. But I, I, I found out that the word quail, it, it, it means to feel or show fear or apprehension. It means to cower, cringe, waver, falter, cold, get cold feet, flinch to shrink, to recoil, or even in Hebrews, when we talk about that double, not Hebrews, but also um, having a double mind. But in Hebrews 10 and 38, it says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draws back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. In other words, God does not delight in a drawback spirit. He wants us to keep moving in him, keep pressing in him. Don't, no matter how hard the struggle is, we go through your process, collect yourself, go through that unhappy moment, but get back up again. And then the last point was the spirit of avoidance. It's an action of your will to keep away from something. It's an action of your will. You're choosing. We're choosing to stay away from something. It's a deliberate action to prevent something from happening. And sometimes we're so fearful and we're into ourselves and we're trying to, you know, stop a situation from happening or we're trying to stop the suffering. And a lot of times, you know, um, this is coming from a place of, pride, shame, and, and fear. It's uh, avoidance, you know, people avoid. It's a mindset that tries to keep you from looking at those sensitive matters. And oftentimes we reflect or deflect onto another person. In other words, we change the narrative. We change the conversation. We change, you know, we try to do a 360 come back or, or 180 and we, we try to cancel things out because we don't want to look at ourselves. So we talk about other people or we change the subject. So look and ask yourself, what am I avoiding? Am I dealing with a spirit of avoidance? You may see somebody else who's avoiding their issues, just like people who are uh, in denial regarding um, drug addictions and, and different things like that. I want to give you one other um, testimony, and then I'm going to close. Um, I 
was married or with the same person for 30 years. I was married for 28 years. And um, the Lord pulled me away from IBM back in 2002. I had been there for 25 years, and I didn't understand why am I leaving now? I only have five more years. Lord, this isn't making any sense to me. But anyway, I, I divorced. I mean, I uh, I left the company, and um, my husband uh, didn't understand it, um, but he accepted what I said to him, and life moved on. And then at some point, I divorced, and it's like, where am I going here, you know? And I was going to move into an apartment, and the Lord said to me, no, I want you to have your own. So I moved into a townhome, and before I knew it, um, my family members were living with me. I had one sister who had been abused, um, married to the same man for 40 years, and basically it was a dead relationship. She married young out of high school, but it was never a fruitful relationship. She's now in a nursing home. She has what is called progressive supranuclear palsy, which mimics Parkinson's disease and um, dementia. I have an, another sister who had been um, married at a very young age. It was abusive. She got out of it. She married again, and eventually that husband had cancer. He died, and she lost her home. I offered my home open, you know, my home up to her if she wanted to come. And she told me and my mom that there were several people who had offered their homes to her. But in the end, she came to live with me. And I even had to pray about it because I knew it was the right thing to do. I didn't necessarily want her here, not because she um, didn't need to be, but because she and I always, we always clash. We always we just we never just we were ne- we were never good sisters that's the best way i can put it we never had the best relationship there was always jealousies and confusions and you know different things like that she would overtalk me and everybody else she would always try to finish your sentences so i just knew i was going to have a time with her but she came to live with me after her husband died of cancer and um while she was living with me she also had a son who committed suicide. So she had, so she's, I'm speaking about her suffering. All these things had, you know, had happened to her. But yet, while she's in my home, a lot of things have been building up. And so she was with me for about three years. And then um, at some point, it was like, I felt like God was, was saying it was, it was time for her to leave the nest. It was time for her to keep getting up. Um, Before her husband died, the Lord had me wash his feet. And uh, I remember taking him to a couple of his uh, treatments. And one day the Lord said, he told me to ask him if he wanted to live. And I asked him, his name was Ty, and I said, Ty, do you want to live? And he dropped his head and he said, "Uh, yeah, yeah. But he eventually died. And um, so, again, he dies. She loses the house. She comes to live with me. She's here for three years. And then we get into some, I won't even say argument, but the conversation escalated 
And before I knew it, I felt on the defense, I felt attacked. She said to me, you haven't gone through what mom and I and Becky have gone through. And you only have what you have because of your ex-husband. And let me tell you, ladies, I was standing there in this bedroom across from her, and when I tell you there was a fire in my belly, there was a raging fire in my belly. I could feel it in my belly coming up. It was rising, it was rising, it was rising, it was rising. But the Lord would not let me say anything. I just listened to her. I listened to her because you know, the word says out of the mouth, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So she had all this stuff in her, but it was coming up because of grief, because of pain, because of her situation, because of some other things, even when it comes to avoiding her own issues. And, I'm, again, I'm listening to all of this, and there's this rage on the inside of me where I just wanted to, like, give tit for tat. And it's like I wanted to, to say, well, my husband and I, we were able to do this, this, this. I worked for IBM, too. I had stock, and I did this, and I did this. We put our money together. We pulled our money. You know, they borrowed money from us. It's like I wanted to, like, you know, again, you, you, you know how you want to got, – you got that list. This stuff is building in your head. You want to shoot back off and, and, and retaliate or, you know, rebuke all this stuff that's being said. And so she, she, um, she, said, she says all this stuff. And then when she got a little quiet, before I knew it, and I knew this had to be the Holy Spirit, I know that it had to be the Holy Spirit, my response to her was, I don't get to choose your hardship. That's between you and the Lord. I don't get to choose your hardship. That's between you and the Lord. And so she leaves my home at some point, and she goes and she lives with my mother. And she tells my mother that I put her out, and, my, and she told my mother that I didn't love her. My mother, you would have to know my mother. My mother is very calm. My, my mother is very calm. And she said to her, she, this is my mother telling me now what she said to her. She said, what person do you know? that's going to let you live in their house, take care of you, you're not working. And then, you know, again, even when, when her son died, the Lord had me pay the funeral, part of the, uh, part of the funeral cost. And then he had me write her a letter and say no charge. In other words, you don't owe Patricia anything. This is my gift. He was trying, even then he was trying to take some of the, the burden off of her. When her son died, she blamed her husband, her ex-husband, for that. But she's thinking, sometimes we, again, she felt unloved in her circumstance. She felt that I didn't love her, even though she had lived under my roof for three years, for three years. So let me repeat again what he said through me to her. And maybe this will help you too. No one gets to choose your hardship. That's between you and the Lord. Yes, there are some people who are evil, and they will, they're very vindictive. Yes, there are witches. So, yes, there are various things 
that will happen to you, their jealousies, but God is still allowing it. He's, he's still allowing it. So let me close now. The Lord redeems the believer's life from the realm of the dead and bestows on them steadfast love, mercy, satisfaction, and renewal. God is still forgiving as we are still sinning and repenting. God is still loving even when the spirit of pride, anger, envy, strife, and unforgiveness is working through us. And in spite of our suffering, God has still called us to the ministry of service, the ministry of reconciliation. Suffering comes as a result of our sin nature. It also comes through our ignorance, blindness of truth, and rejoice and rejection of truth. It comes from a wounded soul, a lack of processing, causing us to walk and live by human senses instead of the spiritual mind. Physical pain can start at the course of an injury or inflammation. Therefore, the body sends off an alarm signal that the body is in danger. It is the body's protection, a way of setting off the alarm to investigate a potential danger or a harmful effect. Hear me. I don't presume to know your level of pain, whether physically or psychologically, nor do I know your threshold for pain and suffering. But I do know that God wants us to live in him and through him in our suffering. I do know that God wants to change our trajectory. He gave me that word trajectory. It is That represents our course, our path, our direction, the ways in which we approach things. And part of that definition for trajectory, and I want to look at this again because it's such a powerful word, changing your bearings. It has to do with the, your manner, your behavior, your, your attitude. It has to do with your direction, your course. It has to do with your influence, the things that impact your life, the things that you tolerate, the things that you tolerate, the things that you accept, it has to do with suffering. It has to do with the way you exhibit yourself, the things you convey, the things that we are transporting and supporting. This is a powerful word. It has to do with the things that we are producing and developing the things that we are yielding to. It has to do with giving birth, bringing forth things, and yielding. God wants to change our trajectory. You're living beneath your mentality. That's what he said to me when I was in prayer. I was praising him, walking around here, and I was in prayer, and I all of a sudden in my spirit I heard, you're living beneath your mentality. We have the capacity for a higher state of mind because his grace, because of his grace, because of the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ which is in us. So it is our decision, it's a decision to come into alignment with this truth. Our increase is in him and lasting in him. The Lord 
demonstrates throughout Scripture that sufferings, calamities, are under his authoritative command or instruction for infinite reasons. However, we do not have the capacity to comprehend or widely understand why God allows Satan to harm and trouble Job. And we see that he chooses Paul, who was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. But the Lord said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Of course, this was Saul before his conversion. And then Daniel. Daniel was given a spirit of excellence for the Lord's purpose in the king's affairs, yet he was thrown in the lion's den because of jealousy. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not ours. That's what Psalms 103 tells us. Chapter, verse, chapter, yeah, Psalms 103, verses 11 and 12. We cannot process all the ways of God, but we can choose to obey and yield to the process and the season that we are in. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 through 38, it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's talking about his worthiness. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is God making a separation of the sheep and the goats. He is causing a division to see who will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm going to end with this last thing here, and I'll turn it back over to you, Apostle. There's a song by Jason Nelson entitled, I Am. It starts with, I am the creator. I am the maker of the universe. Then, he go, then the song goes on to talk about the hardships. And at the end, he says, just let me be who I am to you. Just let me be who I am for you. God just wants to be the I am. He wants to be who he is through us and not just for us. Hear that again. He wants to be who he is through us and not just for us. Amen. Thank you. I pray that you, your spiritual ears and gates were open to process some of this. I know it may seem random. I know it's, it's a harsh word so early in the morning about suffering 
and it's obvious through the praise and the worship that some have suffered and they're crying out. We cry out for the suffering even of, of this world. And, and so, Father, um, I, I just pray that you bring peace in the midst of the suffering. Just bring, just bring peace so we can stand, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand. Thank you.